Hi, I'm Juliette the Rabbi coming to you from New York City. Welcome to today's conversation. Well, it's a conversation of one, basically my own thought process here. Um, Today I'm going to talk about Bitter Cheshvan, the month of Cheshvan, living up to its name and light in the darkness. The Hebrew month of Cheshvan is more properly known as Bitter Cheshvan, Mar Cheshvan, so-called because there are no holidays during this month. It follows a month of deep introspection, joy, and then nothing for a whole month. And as I as I speak now, the moon is reaching its fullest of the month, its greatest light, and yet there has been nothing but darkness and bitterness. That's how it feels. Bitter Cheshvan has lived up to its name. Israel, Gaza, the Jewish and Palestinian worlds, or should I say world, we're all one. We're in the throes of fear, terror, destruction, death, despair, and I feel unable to speak. I feel silenced. I feel the inability of the world to hold each other in love, grief, and despair across tribal lines. What remains is rage. We hear, they will destroy us, followed by, we will destroy you. And the word that comes to mind is overkill, literally. This young Orthodox, Jewish Orthodox woman quietly whispered to my daughter, am I crazy or does it seem like Israel is going too far? She feels silenced. She can't say anything to anyone in her community. And she goes to my daughter for as a moral compass. And I say, oh my God, please tell me that I'm not crazy too because I'm starting to feel crazy. Am I not understanding the situation? I hear this mantra, of course I care about the innocent Palestinians, but it's always with innocent Palestinians. How do we know who's innocent and who's not? Well, we know for sure children, right? Um, and, And they say, you know, Hamas doesn't care about its own people. They don't give a shit. And I wanna say, show me a politician who's not self interested. Who do we really trust? I feel like we won't know the truth, the absolute truth of what is happening now for another 20 years. How long did it take the Pentagon Papers to come out for the truth around the Vietnam War to come out? How long did all of that take? And I grapple painfully with my need to be silent because I don't want to have fights with people and I don't, you know, I can't jump too quickly into, into fixing the problem or, or, or getting other people to hear me when they're in pain. I grapple with that silence and my obligation to speak up and speak out. Because who will listen? This is what I wonder. Who will listen? Who will not shut me down? I tread very carefully. Returning from the wedding 
um, two weeks ago in over two weeks ago now in South Carolina, I buried myself in a historical novel while the Jewish and Palestinian worlds were beginning to rage. Or should I say again, singular, world's world, one world. The name of the book by Sue Monk Kidd is The Invention of Wings. She also wrote The Secret Life of Bees, amazing author. And I just took, I took this book off a shelf in a bookstore, in a not-for-profit bookstore. I just bought it like on the spot without even thinking. I wasn't planning on buying a book and I saw it and I, oh, this is history of Charleston and slavery and 1830s, fascinating. And, and I just took it, I took a chance. The invention of wings, the wings are the story of slaves who used in the, in the book, the slaves, um, the story goes that the slaves had wings before they were captured in Africa and they lost their wings when they were brought to the United States. And this young slave, she dreams of inventing them again to carry her away from the daily horror that she lives, that all slaves live. And then the rest of the story is the life of Sarah and Angelina Grimke, two sisters from a prominent slaveholding family of Charleston. And Sarah is widely considered to be the founder of the suffragist movement. Yet her name, very interestingly, is mostly unknown. Um, the famous quote, I ask no favor, no favors for my sex. I surrender not our claim to equality. All I ask of our brethren is that they will take their feet from off our necks and permit us to stand upright. This comes from Sarah Grimke. Maybe you, maybe that quote sounds familiar. And because today, well, so together with her sister in the 1830s, she fought to bring the abolitionist movement to the forefront in American minds. And the beliefs of these two sisters comes from their direct experience and they're also strengthened by religious conviction. It's a fascinating story. I highly recommend the book and learning more about these two women. And because of their their own direct experience, they offer something very unique to the abolitionist movement. They give much greater credibility, plus their, convic- their religious conviction, the two things together. They give up this frilly life of, of over-extravagance as... as Sarah Grimke describes in the book um, through her voice. And, you know, while others were saying pray and wait, these two sisters said, no, the cruelty and suffering must end today. There is no waiting. If you were a slave, you wouldn't say pray and wait. You would say it needs to end today. But as women, many efforts were made to silence them. And suddenly the fight was as much about women's rights as it was about slavery because they had to fight against the men that were trying to silence them from speaking in front of mixed crowds of men and women. Oh my God, it was improper. And as we know from history, well-meaning people continued to try to separate the movements of women's rights and slavery. And then later it was the, 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 um, in the civil rights movement, no, in the suffragist movement, Black people, black women were left out of that, of that. 
And maybe that's why their names got lost, Sarah and Angelina Grimke. Um, it it's almost feels like they were betrayed by their own friends. Elizabeth Cady Stanton, she somehow does not mention Sarah Grimke, who she was friends with. And so later on, and then in the civil rights movement, again, oh no, we, we can't, in the civil rights movement and in the women's liberation movement of the 1960s, oh no, we can't, you know, black women are not, we, we, we're going to weaken the movement. It's like there's continually, people are continually trying to separate them. And Sarah and Angelina insisted that they were one and the same because justice for one is justice for all. While any is oppressed, all are oppressed. Sarah and Angelina could have, like the rest of the slaveholding South, they could have placed loyalty to their families, to their people, to their tribe above speaking the truth. There was a constant effort to shame them into doing this, but they didn't give in. Not in our name was their cry. The other day I heard a recording of Jews shouting in the streets of New York, not in our name, and I literally broke down sobbing. Not in our name, not in my name. The cry has been, this was our 9-11. And I ask, did we learn nothing? from 20 years that ensued, 20 years of war, the excuses for killing innocent people who unfortunately happened to be in the crossfire because of hidden weapons of mass destruction. And now it's tunnels, or was it tunnels then too? Hostages also. Does it sound like we're living through it again? The whole country united for war. Oh, what a beautiful thing that Americans are coming together across the divide. This is what we heard back then. But was it beautiful? Look what happened. We had this common enemy. And now it's happening again in a different part of the world. So I say, not in my name. Just like the evangelical pastor who or pastors who want to and any priests anyone christian when they stand up in front of a congregation they say in the name of jesus christ our lord and savior that thing i talked about in terms of the weddings don't speak for us don't speak for the jews it's arrogance it's pure arrogance to speak for others to speak for each other. We need to speak for ourselves, each of us in our own voices. And I feel the same way about Jews speaking for all Jews and silencing those who disagree. It's, it's funny because, um, yeah, the Grimke sisters, they were attacked. Um, they were attacked when they were giving a lecture huge lecture hall that they had built themselves with their own money in Philadelphia and there were people outside throwing rocks because they were they didn't like the messages that the sisters were giving and I think it was Angelina who was talking at the time and she said well we must be doing something right because we're making a lot of people angry so 
Instead, what do I do? I find myself listening because I do feel silenced and I listen to other people's pain. I may not, I may not agree, so I just listen to them because they can't listen. They own, their pain is too deep and too great. It's too fresh. And I understand their pain in a way that's hard to explain to others who are not Jewish. But I too have the pain. I have that same pain. I too am horrified by the slaughter of Jews. I fear being labeled a self-hating Jew, even silently in someone's mind. So I don't want to say anything. I tread very carefully. I can't explain my nuanced thinking, my nuanced point of view because of my own upbringing to other Jews any more than I can explain Jewish trauma to those who don't come from it. How can I ask people who are worried about family and friends to think of someone else's family? I can't. It's unfair. How can I ask them to think of other tribes when it's their tribe that's being attacked? How can I ask people not to choose? How do you ask people to do that when they're in pain? And then people say, what, are, what else are we supposed to do? What would you have us do? Do you have a solution? What's your idea? And if the answer is, I don't know, it's because we haven't thought hard enough. I mean, I would have us go back, go back in time, but I can't do that. There has to be a solution that does not involve all this killing I, I, you know, on social media, a very dangerous place to get go. When I get sucked into it, I have, the, there's this Chabad, young Chabad uh, couple that are on Instagram. And I listen to them out of curiosity. I watch their little videos and they're constantly posting. And after this, after the first attacks happened on, on, um, by Hamas in Israel. This, the, the couple comes on and they make a little video and the, the male, the, the rabbi, he says, you feel helpless? He says, do a mitzvah. If you're a man, lay tefillin. If you're a woman, recite psalms. I think actually his wife said that. And that's how Mashiach will come. That's how the Messiah will come. And I'm thinking like, I, I lay tefillin daily. I'm a woman does that count? Does it not count? I hear a sermon in shul that makes me recoil last week. In my very progressive Jewish community, it left me so deeply disappointed. What the person giving the sermon said was, as horrible as everything is, so many beautiful things are happening. We have to remember those. We have to focus on those beautiful things. Look at how Jews are coming together. In Tel Aviv, the restaurants are giving away hundreds of meals to soldiers and they're making their kitchens kosher. They're koshering their kitchens to the to a degree that anyone, literally anyone, no matter their level of Jewish observance, will feel comfortable eating there. They've re- reached out to the rabbinical authorities to put a rush on their kosher certification and it's happening. Oh my God, isn't it beautiful? Jews are coming together across divides. Maybe Mashiach really is coming and everybody laughs because we all know that we normally make fun of that kind of talk but now and now we're talking like them 
And it's it's a joke, but it's also kind of not a joke. And it makes me want to cry. I want to cry because I think the Jews of Israel have been forced to sideline their fight for democracy due to war. And it feels intentional. And why have, how have they been formed? How have they been forced? I mean, you know, it's the primal need to defend their tribe and survive once again, our primal need. The Jews need a home, a safe place to go. We are not colonizers. Colonizers have a place to go home to. Yeah, true. But we're also, we've also been pushing people off their land for a long time. Even if we came to an agreement, even when we came to an agreement with the West Bank, we're still pushing people off their land. And soldiers are being put in place to defend the, 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 the settlers. They may not be colonizers, but they're settlers. And so they're away from the border. Oh my God, leaving the border un, you know, unprotected. Yeah, we need a safe place to go in the world, but not like this. It wasn't supposed to be like this. When people sing Hatikva, our hope, the hope, the national anthem of Israel, was it supposed to be like this? And people say about the, you know, about the, the putting, putting the, the democracy to the side for now. Oh, it's only temporary, this friend said to me. But I fear that it's not. I fear that the fight for greater democracy will, will be lost in an ongoing war of death and destruction. Where is Mashiach now? And then I have a dream a few nights ago. I dreamed that I own this building. It has this beautiful entrance and the entrance is strangely in the back, blocked from sight. And I'm afraid to go down to the basement. It's dark, it's dank. This is what I imagine. I imagine cockroaches and water bugs. It's my biggest fear, if you didn't know that about me. Um, And a friend in the dream suggests that I block off half the building, the dark half from usage. But I don't want to because that's also where the beautiful entrance is. And I need the whole thing the whole, the whole world. And then another friend says in the dream, and I have no idea who these people are, who these voices are. I had no images, I just hear voices. And they say, it's actually not so bad, don't be afraid, you should go down and see for yourself. And so I go, and there are hundreds of rooms in this basement, and it's like, it suddenly opens up, and there's like, feels like a university. There are classrooms where I imagine and see animated discussion, learning, growth happening in the future. There's hope. I see hope. And actually, to my surprise, there is light, even though it's a basement. Though it's a basement, the light is flooding in through these small windows at the top, you know how they have these tiny windows at, sometimes in basements, right? Because it's right at ground level. And I see on the windows, that these dirty windows, that someone has wiped away the grime and drawn peace symbols with their finger. The light shines through. And within the grimy spaces inside the symbols, there are also these little feather wings, like angel's wings. And I'm filled with immense joy. 
there's light in the darkness. And then I notice, though, that the peace symbols are not visible all the time, only from a certain angle. So as we come towards the month of Kislev, the darkest time of the year, when we intentionally bring light into the world with the candles of Hanukkah, may we hold on to the images of light and hope. May we open our hearts so we can listen to and hold each other in our grief and pain beyond our tribes. May we raise our voices above the silencing and stop blaming each other. Stop screaming at each other. May we invent wings that can carry the destruction and death away and carry in peace and love. May we find another way where we see all of our needs and our worlds as one. Say amen. And I'll, until next time. Okay, until next time.